When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, conference team previews roll on. We are honored tonight to be joined by a special guest to preview none other than the Wake Forest, Steeman Deeks, our very, very own, very favorite. Um, how are you doing, sir? Are you ready to go? I am. We had Connor O'Neill on from the Winston-Salem Journal. Connor is now, like so many people we have on this podcast, a regular. Um, and we don't know all the ins and outs of Wake Forest football like we probably should. So we bring Connor on every year, and he's basically the encyclopedia of Wake Forest football. We were talking before we hit record uh, with Connor, and he was mentioning how small the Wake Forest beat is. So Mm -hmm. uh, let's just take a step back and realize that Connor is one of the most knowledgeable individuals on the planet in regard to Wake Forest football. And we have him on this very here podcast, Joey. Yeah, I mean, you talk about just the the concept of a beat writer and what that what that means and almost to some degree what that refers to. Like Connor is a guy that has a really good sense of the pulse of the Wake Forest program and fan base. Um, and I thought one of the really interesting things early on in our discussion is talking about Dave Clawson and where he stands as a guy who doesn't seem to show a lot of ambition to leave. But we're starting to see a couple of cracks in the facade of, yes, I do want to be at Wake Forest for the next 30 years. You know, there, there's there's maybe something that's not totally, you know, perfect in paradise, you know, we'll say in Winston-Salem. So um, I, I thought that was really interesting. And then just talking through, you know, what is the perceived storyline versus the actual storyline on offense coming in, you know, transitioning from 2019 to 2020 and then, of course, I think the schedule, Mike, is a huge talking point that we're going to hit on after after we have this discussion. Yeah, uh, there's some there's some interesting tidbits coming out of there. And then obviously the discussion about the quarterback switch back to Sam Hartman from Jamie Newman is always a worthwhile discussion to have. It feels like for a while we had been talking about Sam Hartman and whether or not he was going to break through as a starting quarterback for Wake Forest after what we saw out of him in year one, and then he was benched, and that was the Jamie Newman show. And now we're back to Sam Hartman. He's still there. And Joey, he's only a redshirt sophomore. So he's got he's got some time left at Wake Forest here to kind of embrace that role in his third year of the program. That's that's quite the realization. Like, I, I didn't even think I was going to be a parent the last time we mentioned Sam Hartman on this podcast, and now I've got like a one-year-old. So things change quickly, as they say, Mike. So um, That's right. I, Lots to discuss here, um, and, and I feel like this was a really good discussion we had, and we got a lot of great insights from uh, from Connor on the Wake Forest program. So without delaying any further, here is our discussion with Connor O'Neill of the Winston-Salem Journal. Take a listen. 
All right, Mike, we now welcome back esteemed former guests, Mr. Connor O'Neill's uh, Wake Forest reporter for the Winston-Salem Journal. Connor, it is a pleasure having you back once again this year to preview the Wake Forest Steeman Deacons here on the Basketball Conference Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Are you hanging in there? And I was just, uh, I'm trying to get over myself hearing myself called esteemed. I don't know if that's ever happened. But, uh, yeah, other than that, going well. Um, you know, hopefully – Hopefully get to September 12th at this point. <laughs> well, we record this on August 12th, and the outlook is great, we'll say. It's great. Yeah. We're going to play games. College football is happening. Uh, there is no reason to question otherwise. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, this, is, this is as positive as I've been in, in weeks, really. So, <laughs> full steam ahead. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you joining us tonight. We're, we're looking forward to previewing yet another season of uh, Wake Forest football here. And uh, wanted to start talking a little bit about Dave Clawson. And, and we, we typically start these talking about the head coach. And I, I pretty distinctly remember we had the conversation this time last year saying, well, Dave Clawson was going into year six and we weren't really sure, you know, he's never really been anywhere much more than five or six years. And not you know he's starting to get his name mentioned for jobs like Tennessee and a couple of these others that we're not sure if he might be looking elsewhere and your response was basically no Dave's happy coaching in Winston Salem he likes you know the kind of players that he gets at Wake Forest and he he likes this type of environment and so it it seems like that has kind of carried through as he's continued to be successful I mean pulling off an eight and five record last year um, a lot of good things going there. Any reason to think that there's anything different here on the horizon for Dave Clawson? Yeah, there's there's not really much of an inkling I get there. Um, you know, with with Dave and his background coming, you know, from wherever he would be going if he were to move, you look immediately. He's at Wake, a small private school, academic focus. You look in in his background, and other than the the one blip of being the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. He's been at Bowling Green. He's been at Richmond. He's been at Fordham. He's been at um, Villanova. He's been at these private schools that are that are pretty academic heavy. And so that kind of rules out a lot of the, the suitors that would be coming and knocking. Not to say that they couldn't lure him. I always kind of keep in mind that you never know how somebody's going to react to having their salary doubled. But, you know, it's it's something that's at least worth keeping in mind that Dave seems to be focused on coaching at a place that values academics and that it's not just, a, okay, let's shuffle this kid through the clearinghouse with, a, with poor grades and poor SATs and that kind of thing. Um, I would say the the one – kind of a little little crack in the argument that Dave is going to be at Wake Forest to stay at Wake Forest forever is, you know, last year um, was eight and five, but the way they started out the season was seven and one and ranked in the college football playoffs. And um, their last couple home games were against Florida State and Duke. And both of those games had one half that was just played in a, torrential downpour so you kind of throw those games out as you know if 
if I were paying money uh, for a ticket, I'm not sure I would go sit in the stands and get absolutely drenched for two hours. Then you look at um, when Wake was 5-0 and and playing Louisville, a, a quasi-rival, and you know, you're undefeated, you're ranked in the AP Top 25, you've got uh, Jamie Newman and Sage Surratt at that point were in the, you know, mid-season Heisman buzz of who the heck are these guys from Wake Forest and could they really be Heisman contenders talk and um, you bring you bring Louisville to, to Winston-Salem for a Saturday night game, beautiful weather, and 75% of the stadium is full. And the student section was full at one point and halfway through the second quarter it was bone dry and almost empty and it's just you kind of you kind of look at Dave's comments after some of these games and you realize you know that he's starting to work in the thank you to the fans who stayed and supported us line and that's that's kind of uh as much of a call out as I think you'll ever get from Dave with you know we'd we'd like for people to have a little more loyalty, you know, for the for the surrounding area to really be a little more fired up about our football team. But that's that's really it's probably nitpicking and it's it's probably minor, but it's just looking for anything that might give you a, a sense of what could happen down the road, and that's where I would land. All right, Connor. So Jamie Newman transfers. So we're back to the Sam Hartman experience. Now, Sam Hartman, when he was a freshman, I remember Joey and I looking back after the opener against Tulane a few years back and we were thinking, oh, you know what? Like this kid, Sam Hartman can play a little bit. And then we saw Jamie Newman later on in the season and Joey and I were left wondering why why um, Newman wasn't starting even in the first place um, and, and why it was Sam Hartman from the jump. And we were like, man, did they make a mistake? at the quarterback position did they not start jamie newman for kind of the wrong reasons like why wasn't he the starter all along so now we're back to J- uh now we're back excuse me to sam hartman and what do you think of wake forest prospects on offense the quarterback position now that jamie newman is gone what do you think is fair to expect out of sam hartman now as he enters his third year with the program yeah the first um the first thing i'd point out is uh, when those two were going through the quarterback battle in fall of 2018, uh, it was the the last scrimmage of fall camp, and I was about 10 days, maybe 12 days out from the Tulane game, and Jamie was scrambling and pulled a quad muscle. And so he – Sam won the quarterback battle – and it, it wasn't by default, but it was by default. Um, Jamie didn't play in the first, I think, three games that year. And then he got in in the fourth game, which was against Notre Dame, and he re-aggravated an injury. And so Jamie basically that whole season wasn't healthy until that magical Thursday night on the road against NC State when he came in and threw three touchdowns and led him to a, to a second-half comeback. Um, but, yeah, uh, getting on to your point, um, Sam is a different quarterback than he was two years ago. Uh, he's he's put a lot of pressure on himself, responsibility on himself to become more of a leader and develop his voice more. I think there's a kind of a feeling that, you know, and, and this isn't a criticism of Sam. This is going to happen with just about anybody other than a Trevor Lawrence type 
when you're thrown in there as a 18 or 19 year old freshman and told to, okay, take this position that comes with natural leadership qualities and lead a team of, you know, a bunch of guys that are two, three, four years older than you who are looking at you to get the job done and lead you to to some wins. Um, you know, he he didn't feel like he was up to that two years ago, and he's taken it upon himself to become more of a leader. Um, you saw it in snapshots last year. Uh, he was able to get into three games in the regular season and played really well in all three of them. And, you know, that's something that and, – and they're able to retain his red shirt while he's able to do that because of the new rule. So it, it really worked out well for him. And then Jamie decides to transfer, and, and he's the guy. Um, and and there's there's another change in him. He's a lot physically different. He he played his freshman year. I think they listed him on the roster at like 180 pounds or 185 pounds. And I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but I know he is. He's just straight up told us that that was inflated. That he was somewhere under 180. Um, and he's up to. You know, we're we're still at the mercy of what they tell us. But he tells us, and, and Lawson says that he's up to 205 pounds now. And so, you know, you're talking about 30 to 35 pounds. You can take a little bit more of a beating from, from ACC defensive lines and ACC linebackers uh, when, you're, when you're up to 200. Um, and it was obvious. It was obvious in that freshman season that, you know, once he got hit a couple times, he wasn't the same quarterback for for a good, you know, 15 to 20 plays. It took him some time to recover from hits. And, you know, it really, it really showed when he played three games in a four-game stretch against Boston College with Harold Landry, uh, Notre Dame with Jerry Tillery and um, Aquara, and then uh, Clemson with the three first-rounders. So it's really it's it's going to be a different Sam Hartman. He's got some of the same gunslinger qualities, but but it's definitely not exactly the same. Uh, let's let's throw this 19 year old in there and put him through the fire and see how he turns out. You know, Connor, Sam coming back like a like 16 games later or whatever it is, and and fully reclaiming his starting spot is in and of itself kind of a unique different story in, in college football. And certainly, you know, Jamie Newman is as good as he was for a majority of last year and then kind of catching us off guard by transferring. And then he ends up transferring to none other than Georgia, you know, a, like a national championship contending program that became kind of a, a storyline in the off season. And yet storylines of Jamie Newman being replaced by Sam Hartman and Sam Hartman coming back to reclaim that job after a couple of years, you know, all this in a way, I almost wonder a little bit if that is a little bit overshadowing what is the real talking point on this offense, which is that pretty much all of the weapons that Jamie Newman had to work with through all of last year are gone. Cade Carney's gone. Kendall Hinton's gone. Scotty Washington, Jack Freudenthal, all those guys are gone you get Sage Surratt back from an injury and he was really, truly remarkable, but there was a pretty major cast of characters there, not only at the skill positions, but even at the offensive line that had to be replaced. 
You tell me, bigger deal coming into this year for Wake Forest offense, is it the switch from Jamie Newman to Sam Hartman, or is it replacing the other seven or so guys that have been that are gone and now the, there's voids there to fill? Yeah, I mean, that, Joey, that hits the nail on the head there. Um, it's definitely replacing everybody that's not there anymore. Uh, I think it starts up front. I mean, that's kind of the easy answer where you lose three starters. Um, you know, one is a draft pick of the New England Patriots with Justin Haran, and then the other two, Jake Benzinger and Nate Gilliam, were three-year starters. And you're you're talking about an offensive line that um, the indications in their abbreviated spring segment were Zach Tom, who is the most experienced one, uh, has started, I think, 14 games at center in the last two years, is bumping out to left tackle. And it's a it's a shift that he's trained for. Like, he's, he's taken snaps. It's not like he's never taken tackle snaps at Wake. He's just – he's never taken tackle snaps in the game. So that's – you get a little different there. But, I mean, it's an offensive line that if – if nothing else, you look at um, in January, they went out and got a grad transfer from Maryland, Terrence Davis, to play guard. And, you know, that tells you right there that they're they're not exactly comfortable going into the spring with what their offensive line looked like. And um, so, so it starts up there. Um, and that's it's, – it's another area where, you know, all these teams are – are different in that, you know, you have some teams like Wake that got in five spring practices. You have other teams, I think I've seen that Clemson got in nine spring practices. Uh, I know there are other teams out there that never even started in the spring. Uh, And I know there are some that even got to, you know, 13, 14, or all 15 even. So Wake Wake is a little further behind the curve than some teams that are rebuilding offensive lines at this stage. And that's, that's going to be uh, something that, that certainly deserves a lot of attention in the next month. And then, yeah, it, it's an easy first test when you're, when you're going up against Clemson and Tyler Davis and uh, all those monsters that, that Venables always churns out. But um, then you, you move out from there and, you know, the, the one area, like, Scotty Washington was, was a physical specimen and was a freak, and they feel good about uh, Donovan Green, a four-star recruit who played in the last four games last year and really stood out. He made some great plays. Uh, he got thrown into the fire against Clemson in his first game ever and then uh, made a great play against Duke. Um, to help them on a, I think a, game, a, a drive to, to seal the win. Had like seven catches for 170 yards and a touchdown at Syracuse and then had another touchdown in the bowl game. And he's just, he's brimming with, with potential and, and um, talent. Uh, where you don't have somebody that jumps off the page like that, ready to step into a starter's role is, the slot receiver position. And that's where um, Kendall Hinton was so valuable. Just, you know, you, you have a, you have a former quarterback who 
gets himself in trouble and it's actually it's, it's Kendall Hinton's suspension in June of 2018 that even leads to there being a quarterback battle between Sam Hartman and Jamie Newman for the starting role that season. So Kendall gets moved around positionally and finds a home at slot receiver, and he has a 1,000-yard season last year. Well, he bridged a gap from, from Greg Dortch to Kendall Hinton to now you don't know. You you think that Jaquari Roberson is the answer, but he's never really proven it in games. Um, you have a young guy like Isaiah Isaac, but he tore his ACL last season. You have a, another former four-star recruit in Nolan Gruel. You don't know if he can play in the slot, and he only got in the field in the bowl game last year uh, for a couple snaps. So it's really the the slot receiver position in Wake's offense will will make stars out of people, and you'll get the ball. But you need to have faith in who you're getting the ball to. And right now, I don't know if there's a player like that on this roster. All right, Connor. So I guess it's safe to say at this point that Wake Forest will be leaning on their defense. Majority of the production coming back on that side of the football. Wake's defense had their trials and tribulations last year, that's for sure. But what do you think the outlook is overall on that side of the football? Um, just having all those guys back, but also acknowledging that there were their fair share of ups and downs last year. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've I've been writing and and telling a couple people that. I really think this is the first year since 2016, the, the first year in this four-year stretch of, of winning football that they've been playing, um, that their defense is, is going to be ahead of where their offense is, at least to start the season. Um, you've got a number of fifth-year seniors back that have played a ton of football in their weight careers. Uh, it, it obviously starts with Boogie Basham, and he's in everybody's uh, way too early first round mock draft. He's just a physical freak off the edge. Uh, he had 11 sacks last year, second in the ACC. But he he spearheads an extremely deep defensive line. I mean, it's it's a defensive line that the rotation goes 10, 11, maybe 12 deep, and it's not going to be okay. You guys have to give us you know, 60 to 70 plays a game, it's going to be give us 30 to 40. And that should keep them fresh. That should that should be a problem for a lot of teams. Um, you know, you've got a, you got a couple linebackers. Junior Ryan Smenda has played a ton of football already. Um, Fifth-year senior Jaquez Williams, actually, you know, they had all these, major guys go down last year and Justin Sternad was probably playing maybe as well defensively as Sage Surratt was playing offensively. He just wasn't getting the recognition, I think. Jaquez Williams stepped up for Justin Sternad at linebacker and played a hell of a last six games of the year and had something like, you know, 50 or 60 tackles in the last six games. So it's it's a defense that is is deep. It should be pretty talented. Uh, they've got to find some cornerbacks. They lose two senior starters that started three years each. Um, but Dave Clawson has told us that 
the further away from the ball you get on defense, the easier it is to play early. And they have three or four freshman defensive backs coming in, and I have a chance to help them right away. Connor, one of the things that I think is maybe the single most interesting, what I'll call a character arc of the whole Dave Clawson tenure at Wake Forest is when he first showed up those first two or three years, the the defense was really impressive, was really kind of the thing that kept them in games uh, for those years as he was kind of working to develop his offense. And that was under the leadership of Mike Elko, who was, of course, hired by Notre Dame. And then after one year was given just buku bucks to go to Texas A&M. And in the time since, he has kind of struggled to replace that leadership on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Coming into this year, it's Lyle Hemphill for the second year after Jay Sauvel was fired after about three years there. You mentioned Boogie Basham coming back, and, and there's a good amount of production coming back on that side of the ball. Is it consistency under, you know, a, a second year under the same defensive coordinator that is going to make a difference here, or is this becoming a little bit more of a talent issue? Or I, I, I guess just ultimately, what do you what do you chalk the defensive issues up to, and do you see that changing coming into 2020? I think you need. I think you need another year before you really um, say that it's an issue with Lyle Hemphill. Um, you know, he last year they were they were really good in some games. Like the North Carolina game was probably the best defense I've seen from Wake Forest since Elko left. Um, I mean, they just they flew around that entire game. They only gave up touchdowns late when you know they're they're kind of sitting back in zone coverage with a 21 nothing lead but it's I think it's there for Lyle I think that he's young and he kind of needed to to learn his personnel and and take some some growing pains last year um and you know the injuries didn't do him any favors I mean he lost uh like I, like I mentioned, he lost Justin Sternad. He lost a couple of defensive linemen here and there. Uh, he lost Nasir Greer, who's really their their eraser at safety um, for the last for the for the bowl game and the the last half of the Syracuse game. Um, I think the talent is there. Uh, I just think you need to you need to give it a little more time to marinate. Uh, really is probably the best way to put it. All right, Connor. So sometimes we talk about special teams, other times we don't. I think with Wake Forest, there's an opportunity for us to talk about Nick Skiba, who <laughs> he, as as Joey likes to say, he hits big balls. Um, <laughs> he sets a record for accuracy. Um, last year, he was one of the best kickers, not only in the ACC but in all of college football. It wasn't talked about a whole lot because he played for Wake Forest. So tell us a little bit more about what to expect from him because he's quietly one of the best kickers in the country. Yeah, I mean, he's he's such a cool kid, too. Like, you you remember back in the Notre Dame two years ago, um, he had a viral moment where Wake's entire field goal unit was on the field, and he wasn't. 
and the holder, uh, Dom Maggio, is like looking around behind him, like, where's my kicker? Everybody else is here. You know, the holder is supposed to count up everybody on the offensive line and make sure everybody's there. He does that and then turns and the kicker isn't out there to try to kick the field goal. Um, but but the funny part of that, the, the part where Skiba gets the last laugh here is he missed, he missed that kick. Wake had to take a timeout and he missed that kick. Then he missed another kick later in that game. And that was the last kick he missed for 34 straight kicks. And that's how he set the NCAA record for most consecutive field goals made, which is just, it's incredible. It says so much about his character, his demeanor, his maturity level, um, every, you know, every, every um, characteristic you want to throw at the kid. He's he's got it. He's, he's just really down to earth. Um, He's not afraid to laugh at himself. He's not afraid to, you know, you bring that moment up to him and, and I've kind of, the first time I wanted to talk to him about it, I kind of brought it up like, you know, hey man, uh, this might not be what you want to talk about, but he's like, oh no, man, it happened, that's fine, whatever, you know, all good. So, yeah, he's just, he's, he's a really interesting kid and I, I kind of hope that he does get more recognition because I do think, um, you know, I think last year, I don't even know that he was a Groza Award finalist. And that's just kind of ridiculous to me. And, you know, I don't I don't really carry the water too much for these guys. But, but that one I was kind of upset about on his behalf. Connor, let's, let's take a quick look at the schedule here. And I want to preface this as we really should preface all scheduled conversations at this point in time as we record on the evening of August the 12th and the year of our Lord 2020. Uh, discuss this in the best way that we know how as the with the facts that we have right now. Um, and this is subject to change even before this is actually posted. So we're going to just take a look at what we know now. And what we know is that Wake has a 10-game conference schedule they had a one game out of conference plan in place, and then Old Dominion has canceled their season. So that's back up in the air. But I want to look at this conference schedule in particular. And, and one of the things that Mike and I looked at before we started all these team previews was that, you know, just trying to rank the teams one through 15, as we know that this year the, the two teams going to Charlotte are just going to be the two teams that have the best conference records. And I, I was personally putting Wake Forest pretty low in my rankings. And and my reasoning for that was not that I just don't think Wake Forest is very good or I have issues with them. It's that this schedule is not particularly conducive for them to win a lot of games. And what I mean by that is that of their five home games, there's maybe one of them that they aren't at a fairly significant talent disadvantage and of the five road games, it's if you just rank them one through ten, most winnable to least winnable, it's like three or four of your most winnable games are on the road. And that's just not a pretty setup. Not to mention, Wake has the like probably unprecedented honor of playing the other three North Carolina schools all on the road. That's not great. Just you tell me if I'm making too big a deal of this, but as far as record predictions go and trying to rank these schools, you know, one through 15, like 
Wake Forest did not get – there were no favors done regarding their schedule in terms of how it's set up, home and away, and when they're played and all that. This is, this is, a, this is a rough road for them to uh, ride down this fall. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you, you just look at the look at the nuts and bolts of their original schedule versus what their schedule is now. They had games against Florida State and Boston College removed, and Florida State would be would be a tough game. And it was supposed to be on the road this year. Um, I, I don't know what. Mike Norvell is going to get out of that team in his first year. I think they're eventually going to be really good. I think Mike Norvell is a really good coach. Wake actually beat his Memphis team two years ago in the Birmingham Bowl. But Boston College wasn't going to scare anybody this year. Um, So you, you remove them and you replace them with North Carolina, who's a front runner for the Coastal in the previous setup, Virginia Tech, who's a front runner for the Coastal in the previous setup, and Virginia, which won the Coastal last year. So it's it's, it's definitely, it's, it's not a schedule re- remake or, or whatever you want to call it, renovation that did Wake Forest any favors. Um, now, it's not like they're complaining about it, at least not that I've heard, but yeah, it's just it's not conducive to put them anywhere close to challenging the teams that you think are going to be in the top three or four in the league, um, just because they have all of the teams that are supposed to be in the top three or four of the league on their schedule. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right with that. Connor, I know it's pretty recent, but is there any word on who you think will replace Old Dominion if that game gets replaced? I mean, I think the um, the one thing I will say, and I mentioned this to Joey uh, a couple weeks back, is that I think there's a chance that the non-conference games might not ever be played, right? I'm not talking about just a Wake Forest. I'm just talking in general. I think if there's virus outbreaks and stuff like that, I think that's an easy game to kind of scratch off everybody's schedule to give everybody an extra week to get healthy. Um, if there were some sort of outbreaks this fall, but um, a- anyway, I mean, back to back to Old Dominion being canceled. Is there any word as to who uh, Wake Forest might replace them with? Are there any candidates at least? There's there's not much right now. I mean, in the state of North Carolina, uh, I should know what East Carolina is doing, but I don't. Um, I know that Charlotte has filled three of their four non-conference games, and <laughs> those are against, uh, just announced today, actually, App State, and then they're playing Duke and Carolina. So I would guess the likelihood of them adding a third ACC school is pretty slim to none. Um, and then the, the mention there brings me to App State, which is a really interesting one just in the last week. Um, The day before the ACC announced the new schedule, uh, Wake announced that they would not be playing App State this year and that the schools had in turn agreed to a home-and-home in the future. So basically at the cost of not playing this year, you get three Wake Forest App State games in future years 
Um, and that's a that's kind of a, a low key rivalry game that I don't think many people outside of the state of North Carolina realize how contentious it is. Uh, it's a game that when App was in the FCS, they would get a win every now and then in Winston-Salem. And Jim Grove actually, when he took over, uh, just came in and, and essentially said, there's no good that comes from us playing them and removed them from the schedule. And so it's a series that's been kind of reignited now that App is an FBS program. So App State has lost their entire non-conference now with the exception of they've they put Charlotte on there, but they're looking for three games. Wake is looking for one game. These teams already had an agreement to play this year is on the regular schedule. Um, the logic against them playing is you don't want to play that game in front of 5,000 people. You know, if you're, if you're Wake Forest and you're, you're talking about a football game and football attendance, there are only a certain number of opponents that can get you to fill your stadium with your own fans. Like when Clemson comes to Wake, Clemson's going to fill the stadium. When Virginia Tech comes to Wake, Virginia Tech is going to fill the stadium. When App comes to Wake, you're going to fill the stadium and you're going to have a lot of App fans, but you're also going to probably have, you know, 20 to 25,000 Wake fans in a 31,500 seat venue. And that's what you want. Like that's, you know, John Curry said on the radio last week that that was a game that they were already thinking we're probably going to set our attendance record and our revenue record. So that's a game that I, I just don't know if you use that game now and play it in front of a limited capacity crowd it's just it's going to come down to whether you can find somebody else, I think. And the options are, are kind of dwindling right now. Connor, without knowing anything else, like you're saying about, I mean, there, there's there's options, but there's a lot of caveats there with who would be the 11th game. Let's just talk about the 10 ACC games just for now. Um, looking at not only who they play, but who they play at home and who they play at away. And realizing again that there is very little of this that sets up favorably for Wake Forest from a record prediction standpoint. I mean, realizing that we've gotten used to Wake being a seven, eight win team over the last four years, do you think that's a reasonable expectation coming into this year? Or are we looking at something a little bit lower? Like record prediction wise, what are you thinking for this this year with Wake Forest? I think anything 500 or above would be a successful season. Um, once you once you talk about who got taken off the schedule and who got put on the schedule and, you know, losing your non-conference games at Old Dominion, Old Dominion's coming off a 1-11 season, they're a CUSA team, and you lose your FCS game against Villanova. Um, yeah, I... I can't see a, a scenario where you're disappointed with Wake if they go five and five and or six and four, unless it's a situation kind of like last year where they come out of the gate firing and 
you know, say they're six and one, but but lose their last three or lose their last four and, or something like that. Um, yeah, I think I think five hundred or above is a successful season with this schedule. All right, I I, I think that's that's reasonable and and you know personal opinion and I think we've discussed this before is like you know obviously five and five or better successful. I don't know if you necessarily call that expected. Like that's, you know, there, there's maybe a little bit of a difference there, but we'll find out. I'm not going to put you on that spot, Connor, to, to make you make that distinction. So um, Mike, that's, that's all the questions I had here for Connor regarding Wake Forest. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good. Connor, thanks so much for joining us, man, once again. And like we've been telling a few different people who we've done previews with so far, this is the second year in a row now you've been on with us. You're officially a regular. <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, I always appreciate being a regular with, with some people. Like the, there's a the Louisville station that gives me a call every year to talk about the game. So I, I like having regular appearances, not just getting called out of blue. All right. Well, hey, Connor, thank you so much for your time. It is always really appreciated. And, um, again, it, it is – really a treasure having somebody who is so knowledgeable about this Wake Forest program able to come on and speak to it. Not only that program, but also kind of the the fan base surrounding it and kind of the, the pulses there. So thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And uh, do you want to tell the people where they can find your stuff? Yeah. Um, it's the Winston-Salem Journal, and it's uh, journalnow.com. Uh, I think if you type like WSJ, you'll get the Wall Street Journal. I don't think they write too much about Wake Forest sports. So journalnow.com, uh, there should be a, a little Wake Forest tab or WFU there, and that's where all my stuff goes. Well, needless to say, that the, the uh, Wall Street Journal would be way better off if they did cover Wake Forest sports. So um, feel free to just, you know search Connor O'Neill, Wall Street Journal, and I'm sure he's there too. Wake Wake does turn out on its fair share of uh, stockbrokers kind of thing. So. <laughs> Go ACC to that. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Look forward to having you on again, man. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Mike and Joey. All right, Mike. That was Connor O'Neill of the Winston-Salem Journal. Thanks again to him for spending all that time with us talking Wake Forest football as he did once again last year and this year. Uh, having returning guests is uh, very much appreciated. We loved having him on. Did did anything that he said like really change kind of what you were thinking about Wake Forest football as of maybe two three weeks ago as we look into this season? Not really. Um, I, I think the uh he discussed Sam Hartman in a much better light and painted a better picture of him than I was expecting. Now that's not to say that we don't think Sam Hartman has potential. We do, but uh, I think Connor uh, dictated to us, you know, that Hartman is more along the lines of somebody who's totally ready and not full of potential. Like this is a year that he is really going to take a step forward. And he truly believed that just kind of being around the program. So that's a little bit different because I think you and I just kind of being removed from Wake Forest were saying, yeah, Sam Hartman, he was pretty good in year one. And then last year he showed up in a few games and played a little bit, but he mostly redshirted. And now he's in this position where he's a starting quarterback again. And, you know, Connor dictated that, you know, he's a different guy than he was, which I think is a fair statement. But 
you and I think that it's more about potential and like what he can do and Connor, how he kind of laid it out for us. It was more of here, this is what he's going to do. So he spoke a little bit higher um, about Sam Hartman than, than I expected. Um, but as far as like overall record prediction and stuff like that's concerned, I mean, we'll get into the schedule here in a second. You know, Wake Forest still has some significant deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's going to make it a little bit more difficult on Sam Hartman uh, just because of everything they need to replace on offense at the skill positions. Um, you know, you're losing your top running back. You're losing several of your top receivers. You still have Sage Surratt, who's spectacular. But outside of him, I mean, we're waiting to kind of see who emerges and who kind of raises their play to, you know, give Sam Hartman some guys to throw to. I think that was the one thing that I really hadn't considered up until now was, you know, we talked a good amount about Sam Hartman, you know, up until I guess it was close to two years ago now, but it was, you know, midway through the 2018 season where he came in and he was playing as a freshman. I think he got hurt, if I remember correctly, and was replaced by Jamie Newman. And then it was like, wait, where has this been? You know, because it was like Jamie Newman came in and completely filled in the rest of the picture for the Wake Forest offense. And it just took off, you know, for the rest of that year. And then for most of last year, it was really good. And, and so there was a little bit of a sentiment of like, well, clearly there's something there that Wake Forest needs that Sam Hartman doesn't have. He's not giving them. But then there's also this sentiment of, well, he was also a freshman and now he's coming back a year and a half, you know, two years later, almost he's a couple years more mature. He's, he's, backed up and he's taken that many more reps in practice and he's got even some game reps in there and all this that like it's it's not fair at all to look at Sam Hartman as the same guy here in 2020 as he was in September and October of 2018 like there is there's plenty of reason to believe that he has changed and he's improved and he's matured and all these things that is a worthwhile thing to note as we just talk about otherwise just, oh, it's just a quarterback change. Not to mention it's it's a guy who was good who left, and now he's replaced by whoever the guy was his backup. Um, it's, it's not that simple at Wake Forest. Um, now, on the same token, there's a bunch of guys that were around Jamie Newman, as we mentioned, that were gone, um, <laughs> that they got to figure out how to replace. And it's, it's really nice to have your number one pretty dominant receiver, you know, clearly one of the best receivers in the ACC, to throw to, but if a defense throws three guys at him, who else do you have to throw to? You know, can you do you have a slot receiver? Do you have a, a an outside receiver on the other side? You know, there's questions about the offensive line. You know, there's and so that's a little bit of what I was getting at. Of you know, the, the quarterback change is going to be the clear, obvious thing, especially with Jamie Newman transferring to a super high-profile program like Georgia, but. Sam Hartman probably a good bit better than the last time we saw him. And the real question is probably what is going on around him and what does he have to work with? And so I think that's, that's as much as anything is the the question and the concern about this Wake Forest team. Probably also worth mentioning, Mike, Dave Clawson in year seven, not really in the habit of having bad offenses in, in no. the places that he's been. No, they always seem to figure it out. Yeah. Imagine that. All that being said, as we mentioned towards the end, schedule-wise, this is a borderline disaster for Wake Forest. Um, yes, disaster is putting it lightly. Once again, I mean, Mike, we we sat there, and I don't have the list right in front of me. Um, if you can't tell by now, I'm playing a road game, so 
I did not bring every last little bit of resources that I have with me. But if if you look back at the teams that we ranked in the ACC power rankings coming into all these previews, I'm just guessing like one through six at least are all on Wake Forest schedule. Certainly six or seven of the top eight. Yep. Yep. It's ugly. And it starts right off the top playing the Clemson Tigers, Joey. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking of, of the top eight teams. I think there were seven of them that are on this schedule for Wake Forest. That's Clemson, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, at North Carolina, Miami, and at Louisville. So your your most winnable games are on the road. And just the general degree of difficulty is probably about as bad as it gets in the ACC. And that's where I, I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say I picked Wake Forest to go three and seven this year. And I kind of think I'm standing by that. And it's it is not a knock on Wake Forest. It is this schedule is a nightmare for what this program is right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think their ceiling is four wins. Like, they they got NC State on the road, which I think they could potentially win. They have a home game against UVA, which I think is winnable. They're on the road against Syracuse and on the road against Duke, and I think both of those games are winnable. Outside of that, like, I don't see Wake beating Clemson, obviously. I don't see Wake Forest beating Notre Dame. I don't see Wake Forest beating Virginia Tech or North Carolina. I certainly don't see them beating Louisville. And the elephant in the room, of course, is Miami, because Miami seems to always figure out a way to lose teams that they shouldn't. But Wake Forest should not be hanging on the same field as Miami with all the talent that they have. But we say that every year, and Miami seems to find a way to blow it. So maybe like the tip top ceiling would be 500, right? Like a 5-5 five and five record in conference, plus whatever the non-conference game ends up being if they do end up rescheduling one to replace Old Dominion. Um, but I think I'm going with three and seven too, because I don't think that Wake Forest wins all four of those quote unquote winnable games. I just don't think they do it. Um, so I'm going to go with three and seven. I think that they will win three out of the four games against NC State, Virginia, Syracuse, and Duke. Uh, but I could certainly see this being worse. I don't really see it being better than four wins. Um, I think anything above that in conference play would be an outstanding season. I think Connor hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. At that point, you're starting to steal one somewhere. Um, the other interesting like quirk here, I think in the wake forest schedule is that they leave Winston Salem one time before Halloween, they play home against Clemson at NC state. So they got to go all the way over to Raleigh, Mike, all the way, all the way. All 87 miles or whatever that is. Then they've got home against Notre Dame, which is, I guess, theoretically in Charlotte, which as of this moment still is. Um, By week, out of conference game that was previously Old Dominion. Virginia, Virginia Tech, all that at home. And then starting Halloween Day, here's what they got. At Syracuse, by week. At North Carolina, at Duke, both not that long road trips. Home against Miami at Louisville. So they play one game of their final five at home. Uh, and, and that's, just, again, not super conducive. Although I will say, once again, you play Miami on like Thanksgiving weekend. You're in game nine, maybe 10. You might have congealed a little bit by then. Miami is 
going to be really good, Mike, I promise. And they'll still be really good by late in the season. It's not going to fall apart. Manny Diaz knows what he's doing. It's going to be great, I promise. As has always been the case. <laughs> so, um, what could possibly go wrong there? But at the end of the day, yeah, I'm, I I agree with Connor. I mean, if, if, if they win five of these ten games, just unequivocal – Hands down, that's a success. Winning season, that's that's good, and I have no further questions. Um, anything other than that, and I think that's a little bit more realistic, and I, I don't blame Dave Clawson. I don't blame anybody for it. It is it is just a, a crappy hand that they've been dealt by the conference. That's all it is. Yeah, just an absolutely brutal schedule. That's what it boils down to. Just a brutal schedule. Yep, is what it is. All right, Mike. That's all I got on Wake Forest. Anything else? I think we're good. Um, the team previews roll on until somebody tells us otherwise. Until further notice. They they're trying continue. to tell us. Joey, they're trying to tell us otherwise. The beatings will continue until morale improves, Mike. That's right. <laughs> we still got to find somebody to do these uh, Notre Dame previews this year. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. I, I got to just really get <laughs> scheduled now that now that we know that well again as of august 12th um we know that the season's going to go on as far as we're aware so we're going to continue previewing teams and we'll see how this all shakes out joey i I, i'm gonna just trust that this is all not a waste of our time and that's that's the mentality mike we gotta be positive be relentlessly positive and just Strive for our goals and, you know, that stuff. Yep. Yep. Go team. Go ACC. Go ACC. That's right. <laughs> all right, Mike. That's all I got here. Let's let's get out of here and come back for some more team previews. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can follow – Mr. Connor O'Neill for all things Wake Forest at Connor O'Neill WSJ. That's all one word on Twitter. Uh, please do that. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, the Spotify store. It's not really a store. Uh, Overcast, Stitcher, Breaker, all these places, and most importantly on Anchor. Uh, Mike, they can also send us emails with questions, comments, concerns, song requests. You know, let us know what you want to ask your favorite preview hosts, you know, whatever, all that. You can send it all to the longest email address, Nineman, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Held it. You got some on your nose there, Mike. You good? Full itch. Full itch. Full itch. It happens. Uh, Mike, you want somebody that can find us in the social medias? Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have rate review, all those things. Uh, very much appreciated from those who have. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we move on? I think we're good, man. You want to come back and preview some more teams? Until they tell us not to. <laughs> they haven't shut the lights off yet, so uh, we're right. still here. The party's still going, Joey. The party's still going. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Well, we'll talk again soon. Yep. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon, and until next time, Go ACC.